Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Coaching Call podcast. On this podcast, we'll cover various types of coaching by trainers in sports, martial arts, fitness, and business. We'll discuss each coach's methods to getting the most out of their respective athletes or clients and how they attempt to change the platform in which they coach. Join us on a fun adventure as we discuss unique coaching styles. We've all been coached before, in school, at work, or on a team. Your first coaches were your mom and dad who taught you how to communicate, tie your shoes, or play a simple game of catch. Coaching is a universal part of how we get others to get something done. Join your host, Raphael, and his guests on this unique journey in coaching. Hi, I'm Sifu Raphael, and this is the Coaching Call Podcast. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoy my show, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. And the reality is, is that at some point in their life, whether that was their childhood or you know, in their formative years, they decided, actually, I don't care about what these people think because they think I'm weird. Therefore, because I don't care about what they think, I'm just going to do this. Welcome back to The Coaching Call. My guest today is Graham Brown, who is the founder of Pickle & Company, an award-winning, AI-powered, data-driven, B2B podcast agency in Singapore. Join me as we do a deep dive into his fascinating world and the beauty that resides there. Hello, Graham. Thank you so much for joining me on Coaching Call. How are you today? Wonderful. Sifu, it's great to be here. Looking forward to this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So where are you located, by the way? I'm in Singapore. So we're on the other sides of the planet. Wonderful that we can do this, isn't it? It's incredible technology, right? Yeah. And we were talking before how, how it's come a long, long way. Oh, boy. Yeah. You've got, I know you've worked a lot in film, movies. You've got the equivalent of a, a whole production team there. For, right. You know, what you would have paid ten, twenty thousand $20,000 for. Even those switching boxes in the old days used to switch between camera angle. Yeah, yeah. Those were thousands of dollars. Now you have it all at your fingertips. Wonderful. All there. <laughs> you know, the, the beauty of technology, it allows us to do so much more. Mm. But technology has also made people, I'm not going to say dumb, but less useful sometimes. Yeah, call it. I, yeah, it's not dumb, is it? What what exactly is it? We've become lazy. Yeah. Because, I mean, even if you, were, if you look at old movies or look at books, read books, there's still all that art of storytelling. Yeah. Which is, technology can augment it. Yeah. But you can't replace it, can you? You can't, you know, you can't create a movie just out of special effects. You can't create the story from that. You still have to have a human story in it. And that is what we've got to kind of come back to, isn't it? Yeah. There's nothing like uh, an experience, right? Mm. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are into the virtual reality now. Mm. And I've had companies approach me to do fitness uh, for virtual reality. And it's a great concept. But guess what? It's, uh, it's not the same. No. Not the same as being there. There's a lot of tools, isn't there, to kind of act like a proxy for the experience. 
I'm a cyclist, for example. That you can mm. there are tools like Zwift where you can sit on your indoor trainer and you can race against people. You can train against people and you can do like, you know, the Alps and Tour de France against people around the world and it's a lot of fun. But it will never replace going out with five of your buddies. No. You know, cycling up the hill, stopping for a cup of coffee, those sort of analog experiences. So you know, yeah, I think we can go some way to kind of reclaim a lot of what we've lost in the world due to remote work and the pandemic and so on. But ultimately, you can't replace the real contact. Not at all. Not at all. So, Graham, we we need to talk about what you're doing hmm. in Singapore, right? Because you are in the podcast world, hmm. right? Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that, if you don't mind. So. I run an agency which does two things. One is it helps brands uh, or, you know, corporates mainly uh, create mm -hmm. podcasts, tell stories in a very human way. You know, now audiences want that. Audiences want to know, not just, you know, we don't, we don't pay attention to logos or marketing campaigns like we used to. We want to know, what does the CEO think about climate change? Or what's their view on diversity? People want to know everything at all different levels. So one part of what I do is help brands do that in a human way, in, a, in an authentic way, you know, not faking it. And the second part is working with individuals, helping them guest on podcasts, like get on stage. Maybe people love podcasts, but they don't love the idea of the work of doing the podcast. You know, it's hard work. Right? Yeah. It's a lot yeah. of commitment. So there is a growing number of people who want to get onto podcasts and the wonderful thing is, is podcasts like yours all over the world have built these communities, you know, with love, they've nurtured their audiences. So, you know, they've done it. They've done the hard work really, for a lot of people. It's stages, really. And it's not just Singapore, you know, now it, it's global. Obviously, we started here, but, you know, we have clients in the US, UK, all the way out to Australia. It's wonderful. And that's the beauty of podcasting. It's like four years ago, Raphael, when I started the business and I spoke to people, they're like, mm, yeah, that's interesting. But now, when you say you're into podcasting, it doesn't matter who you talk to. The first thing somebody will tell you is, oh, yeah, I listen to this podcast. And they'll go off about what they really enjoy. And mm -hmm. it's really nice. It's, it's a big change. So we're in the right place. We are. We are. You, you know, one of the things, and, and you talked about like even four years ago, people were like, what? what? What's a podcast, yeah. right? You're nuts. But, you know, the, the beauty of, of podcasting is that whatever interests you have you can go find if you want to learn how to do something you can go into it but but it's even come deeper because even when i started doing podcasting it was mostly audio but now here yeah. we are doing a live podcast mm. so it's 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 like a broadcast right it's it's bringing the different elements it's now a visual aspect to it Mm. which is a beautiful thing because, and I think a lot of people, and you said it, a lot of people, they're not sure they're not hundred percent. Maybe they're, they're afraid. They're not sure how they're going to sound because they're, they're afraid of their own voice sometimes. Right. Mm. People don't realize that they judge themselves too hard when guess what, wherever you go in public and people hear you talk, they're listening to you period. Mm. And when you listen to yourself, you're like, I sound like that. And then all of a sudden you go, yeah. And guess what? 
you've sounded like this your whole life. Yeah. And just bear it. It's okay. And, and thinking about, you know, people like, how am I going to look on camera? Mm. And the, the funny thing is one of the things that I've learned is that I have to send this whole list of what to look like on camera, right? Mm. Just to help help my guests so that they look the best. Because when I have a show, for me, I want my guests to be a superstar. Mm. And I think that's that's really what, what makes the difference. So I'm always telling them, make sure you have a good mic, make sure you have headphones, make sure that you have good lighting, all these different little things, because it's no longer just audio. Mm. Now there's a bigger aspect because, you know, if we think about it, a lot of podcasts are now going on YouTube. Yeah. I do mine on LinkedIn as well. You know, there, there's all these different avenues that we can go into. and. I, I love the fact that you're doing things for brands because it's it's getting to know who they are, right? Mm. So what made you, let, let, let's even go deeper. Tell me about your childhood. How was it growing mm. up? Where did you grow up? Who would you say was your biggest influence when you were a child? Yeah, that was a bit of a curveball question. Childhood. Yeah, I was... Um... You know, I was always a, a storyteller, funnily enough. Mm. And I think at a young age, I learned, like most of us, power stories, you know, gather around. Yeah. You know, we learned so much as kids, even now, through story. But back then, I was always getting scolded for telling stories. Don't tell stories, <laughs> little Graham. And that sort of sticks with you. So when you grow up, you kind of have to lose that a little bit. Because... Mm what we thought was kind of fantasy and make-believe becomes a really powerful tool. But as a, as a kid, I was always kind of curious. You know, if, if you said to me, Raphael, you said, Graham, don't look through the hole in the fence. What am I going to do? Oh, you know, yeah. You're no, going to look. <laughs> I'll look through that thing, right? And I was always had this sense, and this, I can, this is kind of, you know, this is interesting, just sidetracking a little bit. When I talk to corporate leaders about, uh, storytelling and podcast guesting, one of the things I try and get to is the through story. You know, a lot of people try and focus too much on the why of their existence. And I think a lot of people don't know what the why is. Mm. They just kind of followed their intuition, Steve Jobs style, join the dots later on. Mm. And so, you know, one of the things for me was that through story. If you look at movies like uh, The Godfather, for Coppola, right? the, the whole sort of you know, you've got this really bad guy who we empathize with, really. You know, why do we empathize with the Corleones? It was because we empathize with this through story that here's a guy who is just trying to impress his father. Right? And then mm. they sort of all these movies, this, this trilogy that comes out, and doing these really, really bad things. It's because he's trying to win the love of his father, right? That's the through story. That's the arrow of the narrative. And for me, as a young kid, I wasn't a gangster. But I had this overwhelming desire to see what was on the other side of the fence. Mm. And, you know, I grew up in a small town. The first thing I did when I, was, when I was an adult was to move to London, the bright lights. And when I got to London, the next thing I wanted to do was I wanted to go to Asia. I went to Japan mm. in the 90s. I saw it very, very curious. Like I wanted to go and see. I wanted, you know, my mom always said to me, if I, if I told you, like, don't, touch the hot stove, you would have to touch the hot stove and burn yourself. 
before you knew. Without a doubt. I had to <laughs> experience it, you know. I had to hear the sizzling, like, oh, that's hot. <laughs> so uh, very much like that, you know, and that, you know, you think about it, we have these kind of energies in our life which drive us. They take mm -hmm. us in a direction. And they, they very much are this kind of arrow of the narrative. And it, they can either destroy you or create you. And sometimes they do a bit of both, don't they? And it's learning how to harness that. As you get older, I guess you and I have experienced a lot. And, you know, our circumstances have changed. We've moved to different places in the world. We have to put all that into context and make sense of that story. Mm -hmm. I think only later in life I'm trying to join the dots on that story, like even understanding how that childhood affected me later on. You, you know, when, when we think about our childhood, and if you reflect back, right, it, it's the experiences that sometimes, you, man, do I want to be a child again sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's very interesting when somebody calls me a man. I'm like, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm still a kid, man. Yeah. You know, I still want to go and play in the playground. You know, I still want to run around and I, I want to be crazy. And and sometimes at a party, people are like, man, he doesn't stop. He's like a little kid. Yeah. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's the energy though, isn't it? Like The wonderful thing about children is that they, obviously we know about their energy, but beyond that, there's that sort of insatiable curiosity for everything. And, yeah. They don't have experience, and you can see how experience limits us in many ways when we grow up. Right? If you think about it, I remember my son, he's 16 now, so he's no longer mm. a little boy. He's nice. a tall boy now. But when he was a little boy, I remember on, on Halloween, so it's Halloween almost, right? So I remember when he had Halloween and he, he wanted to dress up as a pirate more than anything. It was really cute. So we had to go and get this pirate costume for him. You know, and kids, they, they want to be pirates because it's, you know, it's swashbuckling and it's fun. And it's, ah, and, you know, it's like finding the gold <laughs> and adventure. And, you know, it, it's uh, when we grow up, we think of make-believe as this negative thing. But these mm -hmm. children live in this world of make-believe, you know, make-believe that I'm a pirate on the pirate ship. But when we grow up in... Go into the world of work, we edit ourselves and we kind of pull ourselves back a little bit and we stop make believing. And you know, you look at all the kind of influential people in business of the last sort of 20, 30 years. You take Steve Jobs, for example. He was the master of make believe. He made people believe. Think about that power. You know, if you're a startup founder, you know, that you've got to make somebody believe in your product to invest in it or buy in it. And if you are a coach, you've got to make client believe in you to hire you right and to take you on and work with you in mm -hmm. a very sort of intimate way but that power of make-believe is like like you say rafa it's like we shouldn't lose touch with that we should reconnect with it i mean we're not going to behave like children but we're going to kind of reconnect with that energy in a way like that's mm -hmm. so important it is it is when we think about the endeavors that we take on as adults compared to what we did as children Sometimes they're very similar. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes we go blindly into doing something as a kid. We don't know what the outcome is. And that's the beauty of being a child, that, that fear, right? We don't have that fear until someone else puts it into us, right? Yeah. But what happens in business, what happens with, with any endeavor we take, it's that 
fear that stops us, right? And, and when we say, you know what, I'm going to do this even if I fail. Mm. There, we're now going in as a kid because we're looking for that adventure. We're looking for that energy to really take us to that next level. And it doesn't matter. And you talked about telling your story, right? Mm. If you're a coach, your story is going to sell someone to go and become your client. Mm. Or even if you're an athlete, what coach do you want to have? You want to have the coach that's going to get you to win, right? Mm. No matter what game it is that you're playing. But think about life. If you think about life as a child, you never had these worries. And these worries come to us as we get older. And I think it's not necessarily because of fear. It's because of the fear that was put upon us, mm. right? Because people are trying to protect us, right? Your parents, your mom said to you, don't touch the stove. And it wasn't because they didn't want you to experience it. It's because they cared, right? And so a lot of times, if you think about, you want to take on a new endeavor. And what are people, they're afraid that you're going to fail. So they tell you, don't do it. Mm. You know, because they care about you. and so. Instead of helping you elevate to go to a different level, to it's a scary thing. They they want to protect you. So what do they say? Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. That's not for you. You're not good enough. You know, it's not your time. Don't you know? So there's always this this cautionary effect that people are putting on us. But we have to make that decision, right? So. You decided to go on an adventure. You wanted to know about Asia, mm. right? Now you, you're in Singapore. How long have you been in Singapore? So Singapore, four years. Four years. So, yeah, I came first to Japan in 1995. And for those of your listeners who don't remember 1995, I explained a little bit what it was like back then. You know, if you think about all the kind of really exciting brands of the era, Sony, Sony Walkman, mm -hmm. CDs. Even like tape, you know, I'm talking about TDK. You know, oh, yeah. You remember those still, guys? Still the, the 180s. Like the, those are kind of like cutting edge consumer electronics brands. And, mm -hmm. You know, 90s was kind of like the tail end of that. So, I, you know, I grew up with all of those kind of brands. Very excited by this idea that there was this other, you know, it's like go west, young man. It was right. for me, go east, because that was something very exciting going on. You know, I grew up in as a kid in the 80s, experiencing the bubble economy of Japan. Mm. I just marveled at this thing, the bullet train, and this technology, and I wanted to go and see it. So that first took me teaching English to Japan in 95. As a, as a graduate in AI in 95, <sighs> I remember walking into the careers library in 95, and they had no idea what AI was. Right. It would be very different now. I would be designing the metaverse with Mark Zuckerberg. Back then, it was not much hope that they sent me to teach English in Japan, so I got my start doing that, which is great, really, because if you think about it, teaching is probably a pure form of storytelling at its best. You know, we remember, Absolutely. you know, Coach Sifu, you know, all the best sort of people who have influenced us and taught us, whether they were actually teacher by name, were storytellers. Mm -hmm. So you followed that, that, that adventure that you wanted to be part of, right? Mm. And you found a way by, by teaching English, right? Mm. And 
what did you find when you got there? What did you really find? I mean, you know, there's this fantasy of like the trains and, and, and technology and everything else. But what did you really find once you arrived? It's a very interesting question, Raphael, because you, you've sensed it, that you go with this fantasy and then you have this reality. And it, it's, right. you can't prepare for it. I read all the books, you know, Culture Shock Japan. And I mm. studied, I, you know, bought the tapes. <laughs> they were tapes. Listen to it, you know why. <laughs> Listen, Nihongo I had 60 big, minutes a day. the big tapes. I used yeah. to have to go to the producer and say, hey, I need a copy of this. Oh, hang on. Let me get you. Well, I, I got to get you a big tape. Fast yeah. speed dub it. Remember, they used to speed dub those things. I had one of those. <laughs> oh, that, that was a state of the art, Raphael. Like, if it had back to back recording, wow, you were like the most popular guy in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. So, I came to Japan in 95, and yeah, I, small things. And anybody that's kind of lived somewhere else, you know, crossed over into the new world or anywhere, you know, left your home move somewhere new it's the culture shocks that hit you are really unexpected and i remember one for example and it happened to me on the first day i arrived so i arrived in narita airport the hanada airport if you ever flown to tokyo hanada airport didn't exist then so it's way out of town arrived in narita and i you know first time living abroad you know, young in my 20s had my suitcase so everything i needed to live with was in my suitcase i was at the airport couldn't speak really much functional Japanese. And uh, nobody came to meet me. So I obviously got this job with this mm. um, school and I arrived at the airport and that was it. I didn't know what, what was I supposed to do. So I got on this um, local train. I didn't realize they had these express trains. So I couldn't read all the signs. Got on this local train and it stopped at every single stop mm. from Narita Airport to downtown Tokyo, which is like, like 100 miles. Mm. So this thing took like three hours to get across. Stuff. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And eventually I got there and I got to this, my headquarters. I remember sitting in this room waiting for the first time to meet my manager. It's pretty scary. A little, you know, I was really jet lagged. I hadn't slept. I'd been so excited, really tired out. And I was sitting in this office and I started looking up at the wall and looking at all the kind of like, you know, like school posters as you would expect. And then I saw this map. This is the thing, Raphael, that blew my mind. You're talking about the stuff you didn't expect. I saw this map of the world. I was just staring at it. Think, think, am I like hallucinating? Because I haven't slept for like two days. I was looking at this map and it's, it's, it's wrong, this map of the world. And, you know, you and I are used to a map of the world where, you know, you've got the Americas on the left side and in the middle you've got Europe and Africa and on the right you've got Asia. That's how we think the world is, right? And it's sort of around this middle part the atlantic isn't it mm. but they had a map of the world where japan was in the center and so when you look at it when tokyo is kind of like the meridian line mm. you see like american europe all pushed up to the edge like squashed and then the pacific's massive and then on the right hand side you've got the west coast of america down to south america and the world looks completely different and i was just staring at it thinking oh my <laughs> it's like for all these years, I've been looking at the world, and they've been looking at the world, and we've been seeing two different things. And when I, it really blew my mind because it's kind of like a, and what do you call the world? Like a, an aphorism, or what do they call it? A parable about how we see the world, isn't it? Mm. Maps, you know, perspective. Yeah. Totally, you know, you see all different kinds. Of, when you start looking at different kinds of maps, 
you start seeing the world completely differently. And you think about that's not just the geography of the world. Think about that in the context of worldviews or you know politics or whatever it may be. This is or even psychology of how we interact our stories. It's all mapped. And that just blew my mind because I realized for the first time actually there isn't one way of doing things. There isn't one way of seeing things. And how we shape the narrative, how we see the world, is actually the world itself. So that was pretty mind-blowing. Because, you know, when you grow up in a world where you see everything one way and then see the alternative, it's like, okay, what else have I been seeing the wrong way? <laughs> what am I missing? <laughs> right? Yeah, it's fundamental. Like, it is so fundamental in... You know, that power to shape, you think about that power to shape narratives isn't mm -hmm. just about selling iPods. Or, you know, it isn't just about influencing people. You can shape the whole way of people's thinking about the world, and that is extremely powerful. You know, it, it ranges from the very sort of innocuous advertising to world leaders, uh, yeah. how they influence us. Graham, I, I got to tell you, there was a reason you took the local train. Hmm. Tell me. You were not supposed to take the, the express train. You think so? I know. You know so. so that, why why so do you say with confidence? See, so so that you can see. Uh, there's, uh, there's a reason everything happens, right? So that you can see the new place you were going to be at. So you can see every stop. So you can see the different people. So you can experience it better. Had you gotten there in a swoosh, yeah, you may not have experienced it. You may not even have been able to look at the map. <laughs> You're a wise man, Sifu. Yeah, you are. You're a very zen-like approach to the problem. You've seen it. <laughs> yeah, you, you're probably completely right. And only with hindsight. You know, this is the beauty of storytelling. And it's the beauty of meeting people. You know, one of the things we talked about today, Raphael, is adventure. You know, I think about every sort of good boy's adventure or fantasy adventure, every movie, book, whatever it may be. There's a scene where the hero leaves and they cross over the river, don't they? It's always a river or, you know, they, they leave like Luke Skywalker left Tatooine or whatever it was, search of Yoda. You have to physically leave, don't you? And I'm sure you know, every religion has that story. But when you cross over and you start walking on that path, you know, you've got your, your bindle and your stick and you're kind of on your path, mm. the rocky road of uncertainty, you've left behind the shire. When you're on that path, the wonderful thing is the people you meet, you know, the band of adventurers that you attract on the way. Now, some of them could be good guys in disguise, you know, they might sort of... Once you've kind of the campfires out and you're sleeping for the night, they might sort of steal your gold and run away. But then right. there are the genuine, the, the mentors and the guides. You know, these stories are full of them. The people you meet who kind of just turn up, say something, nudge you in one direction, and then, you know, maybe they're gone. Yeah. But that's the wonderful thing about the adventure is that you put yourself out there to meet these people. And I feel just in that instance, for example, Raphael, when you said that to me, that's a good example. That's almost like, a heroic myth you know you just popped up oh by the way did you realize <laughs> that had some significance i'm like mm, okay i'll reflect on that you know it's um it's very interesting that even hollywood 
or Disney, all these different things have a, a message that you can kind of like think about. And, you know, in Kung Fu Panda, yeah. when Master Agwe says, you know, there are no, no mistakes, that there are no, everything happens for a reason, right? There is no surprises. It, there is a reason why things happen. Mm. There is a reason why you and I are talking today. Yes, we did plan it. The message that we may be delivering to someone to go and find adventure, to mm. look at their life a little bit differently, may be the right reason why they're going to listen to this podcast. They're going to listen to you and, and, and me speak about don't allow those negative people in our lives to put us down, mm. to move forward, to understand that there is beauty. And we need a different perspective. You cannot see beauty when you only look in one direction. Mm. You have to look everywhere. And sometimes you need that guide. Because mm. there's going to be things that you will never see, ever, unless you have that person who's seen it mm. and knows the secret way of getting to it. Oh, yeah. You speak. With a lot of wisdom, a big part of that is you have to put yourself out there. You have to be vulnerable, right? I think this is important that mm -hmm. you don't, you, you put out, when you depart, when you leave, you are vulnerable and you are separated from your normal circumstances. Mm -hmm. And therefore your energy levels are different. They're high. You're admitting a different type of energy. You attract people. You have these kind of interactions because you're on a different wavelength, not necessarily on a spiritual level, right. but simply because you're very alert, you know, just as you would be in the old hunter-gatherer days. If you're away from the camp, your senses are very alert, and therefore you're very receptive to other people, what they say, and very tuned in to what they're saying. So you're kind of like, you know, I suppose you could look at it at the metaphysical level. It's like you're kind of putting out this energy and attracting people. But it, at the sort of very biological level, you're sort of very tuned into survival. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you know, you're open to, you're not sort of closed off to people. And we see that, don't we? I mean, if you go somewhere, I mean, if you travel, for example, you could meet somebody traveling and you could talk to that person on a bus, you know, mm -hmm. get on the bus backpacking somewhere across Asia. And you can talk to that somebody for 30 minutes and it's like you know them for years. Mm. You get that feeling with the podcast as well, right? Yeah. Because you just go straight to the important questions. You cut through all the kind of small talk. You talk about what's really important. And that's why I feel when you travel, you can meet people and make friends and make enemies even very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. you know, th those people come and they go at, like because you're – you know, you're connecting with them at the very fundamental level. Yeah. And it's the same on a podcast as well. You know, you can get really deep with somebody fast. And then the same, you could have a friend for 20 years and never really know them. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, right? You're so right. You know, I have, I've had people on my show who said, I never thought of that. And I haven't thought of this particular thing in 20 years. Or, they, they reach out to me later on and they go, you know, 
I want to thank you because my mom never knew me like that. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that is so touching. Yeah. And, and, and my mom, somebody actually reached out and said, my mom listened to the podcast three times. (laughs) I'm like, really? Three times? Like, yeah. And, and it's, it's the impact that, that we can make as, as podcasters, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you're a guest, right. And I I think it's the communication that we have to bring forth, right. It's, it's to be a little bit clear on the message, especially if if you're doing a brand, right. Mm -hmm. If you, if, branding either yourself or a company, it's the message that we want to deliver. And sometimes that message can be a little foggy. Mm. I think that coming on a platform where you're open, you know, you know, there's so many shows, if you look back, where certain guests would not come on a show if this question was going to be asked yeah. or that was going to be asked. And if anybody ever said to me, hey, you can't ask me these questions, then I'm going to go, well, you know what? Thank you for your time. And this is, you're not on my show. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it should be an open forum because you can ask me anything. And, and likewise, that we should be able to get to know the person that we're talking with. And for me, that's important because I want to highlight everything that is positive in the world Mm. and this is why i do this show because i'll be honest with you i've had people who want to be coaches and they want to come on my show and i'm like i appreciate you wanting to be a coach go do the work you're supposed to do Mm. but i only talk to people who are doing it who have the experience because if you cannot share some nuggets right to help someone out, to elevate someone, then why are they going to listen to us? Mm. You, you may be a great person. You may be, a, you know, you may be adorable, charming, you know, a, a beautiful soul. But if you're not coming to guide someone, then you, you can go on a different show. And I, I encourage you to, to do that. And so let me ask you a question. Four years ago, what was that moment? that you said, I need to be in Singapore? Uh-huh. Ah, so, yeah. We're talking about leaving, departing. Mm. Um, it was, you know, I, like you, I started a podcast really because of a passion for people right. back in 2017. And the backstory to that was I, in 2012, so rewinding right back, is I started a telecoms business in the late 90s, mobile telecom, right? I'd been to Japan, I'd seen young kids using phones, mm. you know, mobile phones, right? And then came back to the UK in the 90s and said, I've seen the future mm. um, and I want to start a business. I've got no idea what I'm going to start a business about, but I know something. I know that young people love mobile phones. That is going to blow up globally. So walking around London, talking to companies in the early days, people were like, nah, you know, we don't do kids. Really? So wait a minute. I've seen kids using mobile phones, and I'll tell you, it's, it's happening. So I started writing some reports. Everybody said no. Everybody said go away. Mm-hmm. Not interesting. You know, went to all the telcos, mobile phone companies. No, not interested. Then in 98, 99, I think, had a breakthrough that 
after six months of not being able to sell anything, got a phone call. It was Christmas. You know, it's like Tiny Tim's store, yeah. right? It's like we got a Christmas <laughs> call in the office. It's me and my business partner. And somebody phoned up and they said, oh, I've seen your report. I love it. I want to buy it. I'm not a mobile phone company, but you know, it's all about our, you know, our people, our customers, mm. our audience, the client. I pretty take your money. I need it. Christmas, <laughs> right? We're starving here. And it was MTV. Yeah. And they became our, you know, back in the 90s, they were big, right? Not now, yeah. but back then, they were like the brand for young people. Mm -hmm. So they bought the, the report. That then was kind of like one of the confidence that kept us going. But the market just changed really fast in the late 90s. And suddenly, everybody was buying research. And so that business was very successful. We grew that selling research to mobile phone companies mm. globally. I was traveling a lot. 2012, um, it ran its life, sold my interest in the business to my partner, and then sat with my wife and my six-year-old son in the kitchen mm. around the table. He said, what do we do next? Like some people go and start another business, don't they? Well, I don't have the heart for that. I want to explore. My son's six, and you know, I feel there's something we can do. So we sold all of our stuff. Really? And uh, it, we had three suitcases. Literally, one for each three suitcases. <laughs> one for each, yeah. And there was like one more that was stuffed in, you know, my mom's house <laughs> of like, you know, photos and stuff. But that was it. And then we bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand, which is the other side of the world, mm. to the UK. And then we traveled for four years. Oh, my goodness. We went all around the world. Now, that was really exciting. You know, we lived in amazing places, you know, like Pacific Islands, Canary Islands of Africa. I lived in Okinawa. All these sort of tropical islands, lived there, done that. Mm. You know, Instagram sunsets, right. beautiful. But if you're an entrepreneur, something's missing. So in 2017, this is bringing the story back now, I started a podcast to reach out to fellow entrepreneurs because I was lonely. Mm. And I started interviewing you know, and getting them to share their stories on this podcast. It was called Asia Tech Podcast. And then I got them onto the podcast and it was all these kind of stories of people starting businesses in Asia. It was like very new. Mm. And, you know, so I was on this island getting all these kind of people on the podcast and this thing started growing. I was living the semi-retired life and suddenly I was, you know, I'd done a hundred episodes and now people started noticing what I was doing. And they reached out to me and said, how do I do that? Mm. At the beginning it was like, okay, I'll help you out. And then, okay, look, I can't help you out because I'm really busy doing this and helping other people out. But maybe there's a business here. Right. And so what kind of happened was it eventually came to a head and did 503 episodes. Of that mm. And then we thought, there's a business here and I really, really enjoy this. I really enjoy talking to people. Yeah. And helping other people talk. Could I make a business out of this? So the, the natural next step was to to move to where the action was. And Singapore was a great vantage point into Asia. So I moved there in 2018, came here to set up the podcast studio. And interestingly, moving here, everybody said to me, why podcast? You're crazy. Do YouTube. It's like, you're, you're kind of in the past here. Yeah. I was like, wait, no, it's okay. For me, this is like 1998 all over again. <laughs> it was like nobody believed what I was saying. So. It's kind of like, it, 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 to me, sometimes, you know, when you know something, you're very convinced about something. You've got to read the data mm -hmm. well on it, right? But sometimes 
you know, like the, the general advice of other people is wrong. You know, and I, I have in the past taken on board advice and it's been bad advice, right? It's, you know, if you're the kind of person who is very curious and very interested in the world, chances are you're going to see things before other people. So if that's the case, vision, yeah. the views, yeah, you like you have to kind of like harness that energy because mm. when you take that back to the normal people, they won't get it. So you have to kind of live with that reality is that you're always going to be facing rejection in what you do. But that's the kind of story about how I came to Singapore because it made sense to kind of turn that into a business. It's kind of like, I mean, if you enjoy Kung Fu or you like martial arts or riding a bike, you know, success, you know, like Bob Dylan said, is that you know, success is when a man wakes up in the morning and goes to bed at night and in between he does what he likes. And so many of us don't. Oh. We're, you know, we're miserable. We're sort of putting off happiness until we retire, right? right. But if, if, if success and happiness for you is martial arts or riding a bike, then design a life where you can do more of that. Because happiness really is a verb, isn't it? It's not a state doing more of what makes you happy. I think that's success. If you can do what makes you happy on a daily basis, create business around that, that enables that for you to keep playing that game, then you are a success. Without a doubt. And, you know, I, I tell everyone that, that I meet or even wants to listen that when I grow up, I promise I'm going to get a job. Because <laughs> <laughs> I love what I do. And, you know, when, when you find passion, in what you do, there is, it really doesn't seem like work, even though, yeah, you may put in the hours, you may do things, you know, I do edit the videos and the podcasts and all these different things, but I enjoy every minute of it. It's not like, oh, I got to go do this. No, it's like, woo, I get to do this. That's the beauty in finding your why, finding your passion, your purpose. And you seem to be so at ease with what you're doing. The fact that you packed up everything, you guys sold everything, and then you traveled. Hmm. You, you saw, you gave your son an experience that most kids will never have. And that's to experience different cultures, different people, different, I guess, ambiances, right? And I, I love the mm. fact that you called it an Instagram sunset. <laughs> because, uh -huh. it, you yeah. know, for most people, that's what they see. They think, oh, I saw that on Instagram. But yeah. You saw it in person. And that's mm. the difference between the virtual and reality. So in order to, yeah. and, and I love that, you know, it's, it's very interesting because the words we use can draw somebody in, but you drew me in when you said Instagram, <laughs> because I was like, huh, I can see fake sunsets, but wait a minute, he's talking about the real thing. <laughs> so, the real deal. You know, when we think about the experiences that you've had. You're, you're having the life that most people wish they can. And the reason you are doing it is because of the no fear. Mm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not perfect and it never will be. No, nothing is. You know, it, never. 
you know, enlightenment is a daily thing, isn't it? It's not like you you arrive and then that's it, you're done. It's it's the fear. Interesting thing you talk about fear. I always feel that every day is kind of a choice. Mm. Maybe not a conscious choice between fear and love. And love, obviously, you talk about passion for what you do, but love and fear can't coexist. You know, they're opposite forces in a way. That mm-hmm. you th- even think about when we think about fear, the opposite of fear in sort of the heroic sense is courage, isn't it? And even the word, you, know, you speak Spanish, so in, in Spanish, um, courage and heart from the same root, isn't it? Corazon. Mm-hmm. Or in, in French, it's Cur, you know, the heart. Right. So courage comes from the heart, right? Mm. So, you know, it's it's the decisions that we make with the heart, or the decisions that are made in fear. And it, you know, you mentioned as well quite wisely, talking about other people. And I think other people are the fear. You know, our fears aren't necessarily the bad guys that we see in movies. Those are the. If only it was that easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was like the Dark Lord or the whatever but the reality is is that the fears that we carry with us are the expectations of other people mm. and you mentioned for example like people saying no because they care about us there's also on top of that the not saying yes which is sort of the acquiescence if you like the, the silence like if you tell people oh, i'm starting a business or you know i want to become a coach or I'm leaving and I'm going to go travel the world. You get a strange reaction in people. You get either the, you know, a lot of people say, mm, no, that's nice. <laughs> and, you know, you'll get the people that go, wow, yeah, tell me more. And it's really interesting because it's the people around you often that don't give you the, wow, yeah, reaction. Or they may be doing that and inside it's eating their heart out. They want you to fail. Yeah. But a lot of people, you know, because they care about you, may not want you to do it. And they may be fearful, not also for your outcome, but if you are successful in doing that, they'll then look at themselves and say, why aren't I doing it? So I'd rather you didn't do it because then it means that I don't have to. And that's, unfortunately, you know, we grow up with people, we're surrounded by coworkers, society, advertising, aunts, uncles, all those kind of things. They, they're the fear mm-hmm. that holds us back. Like, what will other people say? And if you look, now here's the interesting thing, Raphael, and I want the listeners to think about this. If you look at entrepreneurs and you think about very successful people in the media sense, I suppose. You, know, you think about Elon Musk. Now, Elon Musk is a strange guy. Mm. He, he's socially dysfunctional in some ways. Extremely intelligent charming but he you can see that he is different and when you look at that and then you look around and you get to know entrepreneurs you think actually a lot of them are quite weird Mm -hmm. they've got their kind of weirdness you know i'm one of them right right and then you ask why and the reality is is that at some point in their life whether that was their childhood or you know their formative years they decided actually i don't care about what these people think because they think i'm weird Therefore, because I don't care about what they think, I'm just going to do this. Right. And all those kids that were jocks and successful at school, you know, the good-looking mm-hmm. ones, or, you know, why are there no good-looking comedians? That's the reality, right? All the kind of, like, successful ones who knew how to play the game, 
you know, went into the bank, went into the, you know, the uh, corporate world, uh, knew how to kind of just keep their head down and make things work. You know, they did well at school. All those guys never got criticism. And therefore, you know, once they get older and they think, I want to change this, mm. they can't because they're too scared about what other people think because that's what's got them there. Yeah. I know it's a bit of a rant, but the point being is you're that right. you're fear, dead on You're dead on You know, what lies on, you know, greatness lies on the other side of fear. And the good thing is that there are techniques, obviously, that you can use to overcome fear or not overcome, embrace it. But, yeah. You know, I think we have to realize it's not necessarily the fear of failure that a lot of people talk about. It's the fear of what other people think. It's the fear of looking stupid. It's the fear of rejection. That really limits us in what we do. I mean, what do you, from your experience, I mean, you, you coach people. I'm sure you see that. What do you see? Yeah, you know, it's, it's also fitting into other people's mold, if you will, right? Someone yeah. creates a mold and they put you in it. And now you're like, okay, I, I'm stuck in this mold. This is who I have to be for those people because I have to portray what they want me to be. And it's when, once you break out of that mold, then you it's called freedom, right? So many people mm. are, and you, you talked about fear of rejection, right? Will they reject mm. me? How will I be? And then also it's, it's, you know, celebrating other people's wins because we're told, put your head down, do your work, you know, da, 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 all these things. Mm. And we can't, celebrate other people because we have to be better than them yeah right so one of the things that i do with my uh, my kids is and even adults anybody who who i have in a, a martial arts class when somebody gets a level up i make them all clap and then you see some mm. kids especially the little ones they're funny as anything they won't clap because they didn't get the accolades They'll be like, mm, they'll be mad. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, you have to clap. They're like, why? Why do I have to clap? Because mm. you want somebody to clap when you get your accolade. They're like, yeah. I said, so that's why we clap for them. We want to be happy when someone else does well so that they'll be happy when we do well. And then all of a sudden, they start to understand. So it's that encouragement of, building somebody up that society doesn't always agree with. It's something that we can do when we have children, whether it's our own children or we're put in charge of other children, like a teacher or someone like that. And someone does well, not just for us to clap for them, but to encourage everyone else to join in and celebrate their win. And then the other thing that I think we we forget is especially, you know, uh, entrepreneurs and leaders and all these things, we may have something that we're setting a goal for. Maybe we have a launch date. Maybe mm. we, we have these things, but we're so wound up into this that we forget the little wins that we have mm. to celebrate every day because it's those little wins that are going to get us to the big goal, to the big win. So every day is a chance to celebrate that which we're going for. And it doesn't matter if it's going to take you 10 days to get there. And today's day one. Celebrate today. You got started. 
or celebrate day 33. You've done, you got 32 behind you. And it's everything. Even a failure is a chance to celebrate what you learned from that failure. Mm. So people don't celebrate enough. I think it's party time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is something I've learned the hard way. Mm. And I'm glad we're talking about this because I think this is great advice for the driven people out there. You know, I suppose traditionally they call us type A personalities, the ambitious, the entrepreneurs, these people that we're always driving to the next. We're always kind of pushing through. And I was, I think in a way, our, our brain's hardwired that way, mm. Raphael. You know, it's always very driven. It's a noisy, it's, there's a lot of chatter. Mm -hmm. Up top, right? It doesn't turn off. You know, meditation may help, but it's still the default is chatter, and therefore, you know, it's always that feeling. Oh, I can't celebrate. I've got to get to this next thing. But as I've got older, it's always not just the fact that you should celebrate because it's good for you mentally. But the fact is, is actually one thing I've learned is that that's all there is. There may never be the end goal. Actually, the end goal might be when you're in the box yeah right and you ain't celebrating right and maybe some of the people you knew are celebrating but that's a different story but you aren't celebrating mm. you're certainly not around and therefore all you have are those small moments which is really bizarre because you kind of like when you're younger you you especially when you're sort of a young man growing up and going into the world and trying to be successful you think that you're going to have these big arrival points you know i'm going to become a millionaire and then i'm going to own a yacht and then i'm going to sail off into the sunset right never happens very very few people ever achieve that therefore all you're left with is this, this kind of like these these small sort of wins mm -hmm. on the way and it's trying to identify them and getting into the habit and i'm sure as a martial artist this is probably something quite close to you it's like that sort of discipline of mm -hmm. daily and small habits which create the bigger picture and I even experienced this very, very recently. This summer, I went to Japan. My family, my wife's Japanese, and my son's sort of half Japanese as well. Grew up in Japan. Um, we went back to Japan after, obviously, the pandemics affected a lot of travel for a lot of people. We went back. I was 50 in August. And so I, I made a pact with my son that we were going to go and climb Mount Fuji. So, you know, and I would arrive, we would arrive on my birthday, sunrise at the top. Mm. So we made the plan, we went and did it. And I had this sort of very big vision. It's like the Instagram sunset. It's like, I'm going to have this, wow, this amazing experience. I'm going to get to the sunset and it's going to be, boom, 50 years old. And, you know, like sunrise and like, you can imagine the hallelujah and everybody clapping for me. And, but the reality was actually the sunrise was okay, but it wasn't really the highlight. It wasn't, you know, it was freezing cold mm. for starters. On the top. Uh, but the real highlight, really, really small things like, you know, I we stayed in this mountain lodge and it rained in the in the night. And I, after it rained, it cleared up. The, the sky was really clear. And I went out and then I looked up at the stars and it must have been like two and three in the morning. I looked up on this way up in the mountain. It was really quiet. No unnatural, no sort of like, you know, streetlights or anything. And I saw the Milky Way for the first time in like 20 mm. years because you know, so much light pollution. there. Right. I thought, wow. And I was just there silent. My brain has stopped and it was moments like that which were just i didn't expect that mm. boom it hits you and then i realized actually that was a lesson 
Somebody gave me that lesson, right. whatever, how we want to believe it. That was a powerful insight because I trained my mind to expect this big, big win. Mm. And actually the real win was that small things like that. And even just kind of sitting like with my son, eating a bowl of rice with the rain outside. Right. It's really quiet. Just two of us, nothing said, just sharing that moment together. And that, those are the kind of things I think actually, you know, that's life, guys. That is life. You know, we may never get to the, the summit of this thing. Right. It's what those small moments we enjoy on the way. Yeah. You, you know, and, and I, I love the, the wind that you had, but and your experience with your son was something for you. But then you got to think about your son because his experience hmm. was probably way different than yours. Could have been similar, but it, it was probably different. And something later on that he will think about, I remember that time with dad and we were eating that, mm. you know, or this or that. Maybe he saw something, you know, that, that will be um, penetrated into his brain that he will mm. always have. And, and that, that time that he spent with you. So when we have an experience, we also have to think of who did we share it with and what was their experience, yeah. right? And thinking about, being in a place where you can see the beauty around us, right? And you said you hadn't seen it in 20 years. Graham, yeah. it's been there all along. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. The, the beauty is in, in what we can do and what we can bring to the world, the perspective that we can share. Because if you and I, looked at the same sky or that same sunset, we may have different interpretations. Maybe I looked up and, and, and saw a star or whatever. Maybe you looked a little further or a little closer and you saw um, a creature, right? So it's, it's the different experiences that we can have at the same time, but it's the beauty in that, right? To have the experience. Mm to live a life worth living, to do something that will impact your world. I, I always say this, and, and people like, you're kind of strange by saying this, but when I was a little kid, I thought the world revolved around me. Right? And I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have had this. And then I realized I wasn't wrong because I live in my world. You live in your world. Your son lives in his. Mine do it theirs. Everyone has their own world they live in, but we share a world together. So was I wrong when I was a little kid and I thought the world revolved around me? I don't think I was. I think I was experiencing my world and the people who were around me were there to help my experiences. And the same thing has happened today, but. You're in your world, I'm in mine, and we're sharing a world. I mean, you're in Singapore, I'm in New York. I mean, what time yeah. is it over there anyways? 11 at night. 11 at night. So They're early 12 enough, different, right? 12 now, right? <laughs> you're not right, just for right. an hour. So, it, 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 and I wanna thank you for taking time mm. to be here with us and to share your experiences and your stories. And I don't know if you have time, but I would love to talk about what you're doing with the podcasting world. Do you have time? Mm. Yeah, sure. Perfect. So you, yeah. you decided when everybody said to you, why not YouTube? 
why are you going to podcasts when podcasts are nothing? Right? You thought 1998 again, right? Mm. And you said, wait a minute. I see a vision. I see there's something here. And not everybody's ready to become a podcaster. Not everybody's mm. ready to become a guest. But there are more and more people coming onto this platform. More and more people are experiencing it. More and more people need help. So you saw this vision. You started. You do podcasting, but you also do more, right? Mm. Tell, tell us about what you do and, and share with us. And I also, I want to let everybody know that you can go to Graham's website, which is GrahamDBrown.com, which is G-R-A-H-A-M-B as in dog and brown, like the color, dot com. So go there, check him out. He is an incredible, incredible human being, as you've been hearing, right? So tell me about your company. What do you guys do? Yeah, so let's put this into context. That There are 5 million podcasts in the world today and 50 million podcast episodes. That's the latest data. Mm. And a lot of people say, oh, everybody has a podcast now. But do they, really? Yeah. If you put it into context, 1998, how many websites were in the world? Five million, interesting. Oh, wow. And yeah, I was designing some of those things back then. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, it's, it's been a, a ride in terms of number of websites. We've got just over 2 billion websites in the world today, mm. registered, tracked. So, you know, think about that increase from 98 to where we are today. Mm -hmm. and. I see a similar pattern happening in podcasts that it's not going to be one brand, one podcast. Now, now we will do multiple podcasts for one brand. You know, they'll have different teams and it's, it will get to a stage where every leader will have a podcast inside. So, you know, you have one bank could have a hundred podcasts mm. in the future. And that's a really interesting reality because firstly, obviously there's the technical aspect of doing that, which is what we do is help them make that happen. But Secondly, there's the strategic aspect of it, which is now we're in a reality where the official brand story is just one bird in the tree, right? right? You've got a lot of birds singing now. Mm -hmm. So how do you make that work? That scares the hell out of a lot of comms heads, right? Well, we can't have 100 people talking. But whether you like it or not, they are talking already on social media. So do you want them to do it on their own or do you want to give them the tools to help them do it in a in an environment which is going to be you know, within the parameters of what the brand is, but that's the many-to-many -many reality that's happening now. And a really a big part of what we do is help brands, you know, prepare themselves for that wow. and do that well. Do it in an authentic way, a human way, and an engaging way. You know, it's not about like you say all that that oh I can't ask you know Mr. Raphael this question hashtag whatever can't talk about that <laughs> you know. That's the kind of extreme, but like, you know, brands are over here saying, you know, they traditionally had handlers and, you know, the PR people and the comms you know, filters. You've got to find this sort of happy medium in between the safe space for corporates who can tell stories, but do it in a way which is on brand. Mm. So it's kind of like you have to kind of balance both of these. And that's a part of it is helping them tell stories which are, you know, human to us listeners that, oh, no, they're not just kind of reading this thing, right? But at the same time, it's not going to, you know, not, they've got the guardrails, but they're not going to stray off and talk about 
hashtag whatever right right and then set all the you know the crisis mode on for the pr people yeah so that's a big part of what we do is how do you know what's the mechanics of that how do you get them to tell stories how do you make it engaging because these are people who have spent a whole life not being authentic but by being efficient is the opposite of authenticity yeah you know i have this vision and that you just put into my i never thought of it this way and thank you for that Mm. i have a vision of every big company i'm thinking big right i'm thinking coca-cola i'm thinking ibm i'm thinking apple i'm thinking ford lexus all these big companies with a sound studio in corporate headquarters or in one of their facilities where they actually have a podcast studio where people come in, they set it up and they, maybe they interview their employees. Maybe they, they talk about common things that are uh, important for the company and just have a podcast just for the company. Right. So is that what you're talking about more, more? Hmm. It's an interesting vision. You're kind of thinking. Is that a new vision that we're going to work on together? (laughs) <laughs> yeah that is interesting you know let's look at that's already happening in different forms i mean you know if you look at some of the most pioneering brands of the last 20 years not necessarily some of the ones that you talked about because they were big brands already mm-hmm. but i'm talking about the challenger brands that came from nowhere like red bull mm. for example you know they are in a sense a media company they, they're very much about creating their own media right they just happen to sell caffeinated water right <laughs> you know um, but they also they're, they're all about media creation they have a, their own media house internally so they have effectively the equivalent of that you know the in not just their podcast studio but you know their media studios their tv teams mm-hmm. and all that they realize that actually that you know people don't buy stuff they buy what stuff does for them and what that stuff does for them is that sort of community that they can create around a drink and a lifestyle right and the reason why red bull is a good example is because these are kind of the canaries in the coal mine if you like which are they you know because if if your business if you were just selling sugary water anybody can do that right um so you have to then learn fast and iterate faster than everybody else to kind of stay alive right Correct. You don't have anything apart from a story. You have nothing. All you are is a story. So you have to get really, really good at that. Mm. And therefore, the if you look at if you want to learn storytelling, marketing, go work in soda because they have nothing apart from story. So those guys are the best because that's the they're not selling something which is like you know the best iPod for the generation. They don't have anything mm. apart from what they can make you believe about their product, right? So that's that's happening already, and now you know the reality is is that everything's becoming soda, mm. right? Look at food delivery, or you know, it, you have the same delivery drivers. You know, I was there's a hawker center here in Singapore. Walked past it the other day. There's a delivery bike there. The guy had on one side of the bike this, you know, these delivery boxes, Uber Eats, mm. and on the other side he had different color one, which was the local rival. So he's delivering for the two rivals, right? The same delivery driver. He's picking up the same food yep. from the same, you know, restaurants. So you can order it with different, you know, apps. Delivery drivers. But it's the same, you know, and even the app, you know, all, all they are are different colors. 
-hmm. you know, and then you have, they're using the same AI to work out the algorithms and all, all that. So it's kind of like everything's becoming soda now. Mm -hmm. Every, you know, what we thought of as the barriers to entry between all these brands and all these companies you're mentioning, they all got the access to the same technology, the same people, right. they're all outsourced. So all we're going to be left with in the future is story mm. all, and people and the people who tell those stories, right? right? So the next part about the studio, well, the beautiful is, and this kind of brings us full circle. The beautiful thing is, is that you already have the studio here, right? This is the beauty. You could have a podcast studio with technology like StreamYard, 40 bucks. You're in the game. You have a podcast studio in your Billion dollar corporate guys for $40. Of course, you need a company to help you with that, but you don't need to lay out on all this technology. So that's the, I mean, you're right, Raphael. That's the future that waits us. Not everybody gets it. We may have to wait for a generation to die out and retire before, you know, the younger people come in and make decisions. But that many to many reality in podcasting story. I talk about the storytelling organization. That's the future, I think, is that we're at actually the stories we tell become the experience of that company right. and the best way to tell stories is not to kind of get a proxy you know like an ad agency like in the old days tony the tiger mm. or you know like some mascot mm. but to give your people the tools to tell their story because what's better you know than the guy from the company the real guy not the actor telling you about his experience and that's what we connect that's the future, the reality that's happening now. But like the internet in 98, it's like, go around, tell everybody about the internet and you're going to get a very interesting reaction from people. I mean, yeah, you're selling books, the internet. People are going to go, nah, <laughs> come on. Look, we, we spent billions on these bookstores. It's never going to happen. Mm. I think we're here again. Yeah. You know, and, and I love, love reading books. There is nothing like opening up a book and I love hard hardcover. And the other mm. thing is that I'm always writing. You know, I take notes as we talk. So <laughs> I'm always taking notes. I got a pepper. You know, there you go. Got one of these things. So and never going away. No, you know, but I I and yes, I can type and, and, and I type and I transcribe and I do all these different things. But even though I'm gonna put out a paper or I'm gonna do something, for some reason for me, I first have to put it with pen and paper first and then i'll go type it out because i want it to really register what's in my head and then put it in and you know it makes such a huge difference for me to do that so you're helping people or companies with their brand through podcasting and we talked about it a little bit so if somebody says you know I need to contact Graham. He needs to help me. I, I have a brand. I want to get out there. I want to get more noticed. What would you say is the, the best thing that they can do um, once they call you? Obviously, start the conversation. Reach out to me. You've got my website there. If you are starting that journey, I would say probably the best thing, the two things you can do beforehand to help yourself and just kind of you know help focus your discovery first one is start defining your audience avatar mm. i'm amazed by how many people you know it's like you would never start a radio show and not know who your listeners were if you if you 
radio is like a sunset industry, or they kept saying it's a sunset industry. It's been around for 100 years. Interestingly, BBC is 100 years old this year. It started in radio, right? And it's still going. Yeah. And the reason why radio is still going is because radio hosts know who they're talking to. I, I knew a radio host once that cut out a picture of his listener. I think she sent him like a fan photo. He cut it out and he stuck it on the uh, on the microphone. And every time he went live, he talked to her. Mm. Right? He always he didn't say you guys. He always said you. He could reach her he could speak to her he knew what she didn't like and what she liked and all of that and that's what we in podcasting need to start with who are we talking to what's their pain points what keeps them up at night mm. what's their frustrations what's the big macro trends in your industry that is bothering her right. speak to that because you know speak lean into that problem first and so before you even talk to me start thinking about that and then once you start thinking about that most important thing in any podcast project is to identify who the internal stakeholders are going to be. You need to get a host. You, know, you need one of your own people. Find somebody. Here's the beauty is that I guarantee there is somebody in your organization, and I bet you they don't have podcaster in their job title, right? There's somebody there who, if only you talked about this thing, you planted the flag, they would rally around. They'd say, yeah, I'm in. I want to do mm -hmm. this, right? You know, I used to do student radio or, you know, whatever it may, or I write or whatever it may be, you will find somebody and they will say, I want to be part of this. And that's the beauty because this project, a podcast project internally, it's like cross-functional. Mm. There isn't a podcast department. There isn't a podcast manager. Yeah. It crosses every department. It slices across every discipline, right? Mm -hmm. So the person, the right person to do that is the one that wants to do it and has stories, right? But the second part of it is identify those people, you know, Get that message around internally. Find out who they are. Find who are the people that put their hands up. I guarantee you, you could find at least one, but you may find five or six people who want to be part of this. And that's your cross-functional team. That's your mini tribe. Now, all you're doing is you're creating a water cooler for them, right? That's the, the, the energy you need to make this work. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Wow, Graham, you and I, I think I can talk to you forever, my friend. <laughs> I likewise you're 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 a good host. I really enjoyed this. Oh, I appreciate that. If if anyone is ever listening to any of my shows and, and you know I only bring you top quality people as my guests. Um one of the reasons is because I always have a conversation first to make sure they're going to sound okay mm. and and they have a good message to to deliver. But for anybody who wants to get into podcasting, definitely reach out to Graham. He will guide you. And I know he's a good guy. He may be in Singapore, but guess what? It doesn't matter. We are worldwide now, right? Mm, we can do this now. Mm, absolutely. So he can help you if you're in Boston, or if you're in the UK, if you're in Italy, if you're anywhere in the world, Graham can help you. So reach out to Graham. Mm. For sure. Thank you, Raphael. You got it, buddy. Any any yeah. advice that you can give to someone who wants to become a podcaster, not necessarily for a company, but for themselves? Yeah. One image I had, because we were talking about kids today, mm. make believe. And, you know, that sort of warning to you know, children wanting to live in their own world, or that's what they do. It's sort of a default and trying to get back to that a little bit. I was uh, 
I, I was reading about those cave paintings in south of France. Mm. So there's cave paintings in Lascaux, which they've discovered a few years back, which are the oldest known art created by mankind. It's like 22,000 years ago. 22,000 years oh. ago, right? Can't even imagine what the world was mm. like back then. But in these cave paintings, they've got, you know, buffalo stampedes, they've got animal trails, they've got all this information stored. You know, there's massive, mm. like, you know, not just one mural, but it's like hundreds of them, right? It's all this kind of information stored about them and their story. And the absolutely beautiful part of it is there's a part of it, and there's a Wikipedia article that goes into depth about this, but in one section, there is this sort of animal trail and they're sort of mapping it out and telling you what's going on. Right at the bottom of it, this section, is these two hands where they've identified them as a, a child, maybe like you know, female, two years old, three years old. Mm. And she's put her hand in the oak, which is not the, um, the ash, the ink, right? Mm. And she stuck her hands in the wall like that, and made a print. Right. And I think it's beautiful because you give that to any kid anywhere in the world, do you give them a pot of paint? What are they going to do? They're going to put their hands in it and stick it on the wall. Yeah. And I'd see that and it's like, that's 22,000 years. And that instinct in us has not changed mm -hmm. at all. That instinct to put our hands on the wall and say, this is me, this is my world, this is my story. And it mm -hmm. is a default programming in us. So my advice would be is to recognize that that is a key part of what it means to be human. Not to fight it, but to somehow embrace it and find ways to make it a part of your business, your story, your brand, whatever it may be, but to enhance and embrace that energy because yeah. it's timeless. Beautifully said. And I, I love the imprints on the wall. Great. Mm. And you're right. It's about you. It's your story, right? And how you tell it. Thank you, Graham. This has been an exceptional show. Thank you so much for making it so. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Raphael. And have an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Or evening, should I say. You too. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'll be back with a new episode and a new guest. You can find all episodes of the Coaching Call podcast on Apple, Anchor, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I ask that you please leave me an honest review. This episode was made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and buy me a cup of coffee. Make it a large. <laughs>